I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute, and I am delighted that we are joined by Alan Bird and Joyce Osland. We're going to talk about how significant the issue of global leadership is and talk a bit about how challenging the work is that we're asking global leaders to do. So what is it about the global context that makes leading globally a challenge? Well, if we had to sum it up in one word, it would be the complexity of it. And that complexity consists of people having to deal with a multiplicity of people and entities. So many of our global leaders don't just work inside their own organization. They deal with governments, they deal with other organizations, sometimes they're both competitors and collaborators, of course, suppliers, clients all over the world. But they just have a lot of people on their speed dial and external organizations too. So that means they do a lot of boundary crossing because of that. They're also highly interdependent with a lot of other groups. Their work is impacted by people all around the world, Mm -hmm. as well as situations, of course. And there's a lot of ambiguity in what they do. We're not always sure. There's a lot of different rules to follow in different countries. We're not always sure what the causal relationships are. So all of this adds up to a really extreme amount of complexity, which is why we coined the term extreme leadership. My company actually is in the process of entering a joint venture with a company in India. I've been teaching global leadership. But when I actually own the company, I'm starting to realize how personally things like currency fluctuation impact my ability to pay salaries. So everything we had planned is now shifting to how do we run the enterprise and what currency denomination do we get paid in and how do we survive that fluctuation and still attend to paying U.S. salaries. These are things I never thought I'd worry about. And was reading a quote just today, no one realizes the true cost of going global. There's all these rules to navigate all over the world. Oh, yeah. To add to that, the level of interdependence is extraordinary. It's not just that there are a lot more people and a lot more organizations to interact with, a lot more regulations, both at home and abroad and and internationally. It's that everything seems to be connected to everything else. And that makes it really difficult, as Joyce was saying. The ambiguity is challenging. And part of that ambiguity is if everything's connected to everything else, then it's seemingly impossible to know what happens when you pull a lever or flip a switch or push a button, what the downstream effects of that will be. And we see lots of evidence of that. Going back a few years, Coca-Cola had a problem with their bottling operations in Belgium with some contamination in the water. Well, Coca-Cola Belgium and Coca-Cola India are completely independent. There's no connection between them at all with regard to the products, but immediately that had an impact on what was going on in India. How do you as a global manager anticipate what the spin-off effects or what the side effects will be? And then even if you can anticipate what the effects might be, which lever do you pull? Which button do you push to move the organization forward? And I would say all of that is made more extreme, more complicated because of uh, what we call fast flux, rapid, unpredictable change. Managers simply can't anticipate where they're going to be, where the company's going to be. Companies that were on top one day can be within a matter of months on the bottom. Competitors can come out of nowhere. One of my favorite examples is Mars that manufactures M&Ms. If you're Mars and you're trying to sell M&Ms, who's your major competitor? When I ask this of executives I work with, they'll come up with Nestle or or Hershey or Cadbury. But the reality is Mars' major competitor 
in the M&M's market is Apple because given discretionary income in their major sales population of 12 to 26, the choice isn't between M&M's and uh, some other piece of candy. It's between M&M's and a, a Beyonce download. Uh, so how do you compete in that environment? And knowing that that could quickly change makes it even more, even more challenging. How do you help leaders understand and prepare for that kind of fast flux? It seems like we're all facing this fast flux, and our competition is defined very differently than it was in the past. When you ask how can we help leaders prepare, I, I would take a step back before that and ask, can we identify, and if we can, what should we look for in individuals who might be able to work effectively in that environment? So often businesses are confronted with what we call the make-or-buy decision. Do we go out and hire talent? Do we recruit? Or do we try to develop that internally? And that's still a challenge. Our, our answer is always the same. Well, before you make the make-or-buy decision, you ought to identify what it is you need. And then you can make a decision about, is this something I can find in the marketplace or is this something that I can develop within people internally? The research that we have done suggests that there are a number of characteristics that we ought to look for in the selection, if you will, and then, and then there are other characteristics that we ought to look to develop. Are and there I would, sort of characteristics you look to avoid? Yeah, there are. We tend not to spend as much time talking about that. <laughs> Often they appear to be kind of the opposite okay. of what you're looking for. Well, let me give you an example of one. If I were asked which is the most important characteristic attribute that a, that a global leader brings to, uh, brings to this challenge and will help them succeed, there are many that come to mind, but I would say I would opt for global leaders who have a, a very deep sense of curiosity ah. and desire to understand, a desire to know. As I say, there are other characteristics, but that one seems to have a, an extraordinarily powerful impact, subsidiary effects, uh, secondary effects on, uh, on other characteristics and attributes they might bring to the, uh, the challenge. So what else? You said there are hundreds of competencies. Let me start with the how do you sort them first. In my review of these 200 plus competencies that different researchers, scholars, and, and practitioners have identified. I, I engaged in a process of trying to uh, sift through them, winnow them down, see if I couldn't find ways to, to, to group them, categorize mm -hmm. them. I uh, eventually settled on three, we'll call them buckets, okay. three, three broad buckets. The first is, uh, is business and, and organizing competencies, and there are a number of competencies within that, but this really has to do with uh, your ability to, to lead a business, to run a business, mm -hmm. to understand what are the, the critical issues, the, the, you know, the key drivers, and, and the like. The second, uh, the second bucket would be the interpersonal, and included in that, the intercultural. How do we manage relationships? Mm -hmm. And there are some things we know about that and some particular competencies that emerge. And then the third is uh, self-management. How do we manage ourselves? Leading globally is extraordinarily challenging for the individual. The demands on their time. Uh, is it Tina Kreising and uh, Jim Ludemann at uh, Benedictine have um, completed a study where they actually spent time with, uh, with five global leaders mm. a week at a time and essentially followed them around, cataloging everything they did. And what they found is they spent significantly 
more time than a typical manager mm-hmm. in business. And because of the time zones and distances involved, that, uh, that longer period of time extends on a daily basis. Essentially, they work much longer hours from earlier in the morning to later at night. So setting everything else aside, the, uh, the, the physical demands mm-hmm. of, of that sort of schedule are huge. And then the challenge of, of tracking and keeping on top of all of these different individuals, different issues, different challenges and tensions uh, has a, uh, an extraordinary psychological toll, just kind of keeping up with all of that. Mm-hmm. So managing yourself becomes extremely important, and, and uh, there are a number of competencies related to that 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 um, are associated with uh, with leaders being effective or, or ineffective. I appreciate you saying that because it does, I feel overwhelmed. I should maybe not admit that, but they're just a lot of moving pieces. And as you've said, I'm working with folks in the Netherlands and India and we're six to nine hours apart. Well, when you're dealing with Europe and Asia and, and North America or Latin America, then you're essentially operating outside of somebody's work hours and usually outside of the two of the parties' work mm-hmm. hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, that takes a toll. This is why one of, the, one of the instruments that we use to assess people in terms of their bubble competencies, it has 16 dimensions, but three of those dimensions are related to stress. So we are acknowledging that just the physical limitations of a human body are real, and we have to attend to that, not just get over it mask it until we collapse. You know, if I had to winnow down the competencies, in addition to curiosity, I would also mention cognitive complexity. Okay. Which, yeah, that's one of the top ones I look at. Global mindset, right? Mm -hmm. The ability, and it makes perfect sense because if your environment is extremely complex, then the people that work in it have to be equally complex. And then in addition to cognitive complexity, I always think of social behavioral complexity. Well, the ability to to code switch and adopt mm. behavioral scripts from other countries isn't going to make people feel at ease or commendable. Mm-hmm. I think we, we see that that's very important and we, we've done a study on expert global leaders and that's one of the things they talk about quite a bit. And is that things just as simple as observing space and understanding that the human being across the table may may see any gesture that I make very differently than I intended. And that it, it's only Americans that stand about 17 inches so that the ideal the ideal distance is where I could put my thumb in your ear for an American. Hmm. It's not at all the same for many other cultures. Some are much closer. And some are much further. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot, but there's a lot of adapting like that, especially for global leaders, because and as we know, every country in the world has its own indigenous leadership style. Mm-hmm. There's no way that a global leader can learn all those indigenous styles, but they should be aware of how countries tend to vary mm-hmm. in terms of leadership. And they should be able to adapt if, to the one person that's in front of them from another culture, if that's necessary. You know, if you have a group with people from all over the world, which a lot of them do, right? The lunar direct yeah. reports are like that. You're really talking about a meta level of leadership that's above all of that because. So hopefully if I'm sitting across the table from a person, 
I will, if I do something offensive, notice the facial expression. Now, unfortunately, sometimes their facial expressions are also different than I would interpret an American facial expression. So I'm at a double disadvantage. Okay. This is if I'm paying attention. This is, this is a challenge. We um, In Thailand, they talk about 17 different smiles. So mm -hmm. when a Thai is smiling, which of those 17 is he smiling? Is he smiling at the smile of embarrassment for you? Is he smiling the, the smile of embarrassment for for himself? Is it a smile of happiness? It, mm -hmm. so there's so many different gradations to that. And what we found in the in the expert global leadership is that those global leaders who were really good at this had uh, had exceptional skill at being able to to tease out those differences, to notice those differences, mm -hmm. and then to accurately. Uh, determine how to proceed from there. Because it's not just enough to be able to say, okay, I, I understand what's going on. You then have to, as, as Joyce indicated earlier, you have to be able to choose the right course of action. What's the proper behavior to respond to that? I'll, g I'll give you an example of how, how complicated this can be just in the context of Japan. When I go to Japan, I lived and worked there for eight years. I uh, one time was near fluent in Japanese and very comfortable moving in and out of that environment. But I go to meet with the Japanese manager. Should we bow? That's the typical way of greeting in Japan. Or should we shake hands, which is a typical way of greeting in, <laughs> in the U.S.? Well, I have to think about that individual manager, not just Japanese in general. And I may think, okay, I'm, uh, I'm meeting this Japanese, so I'll plan on bound. But I know that mm -hmm. Mr. Tanaka spent some time, you know, working at the New York office, mm -hmm. so he's probably going to want to shake hands. But Mr. Tanaka knows that I have spent time, you know, I've spent a period of time in Japan, so he may be expecting me to bow. And 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 you can see that kind of ripples mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. Kind of. Usually, what happens then is we uh, we start to bow as as we extend a hand to shimmy, <laughs> and we kind of you know deftly pick up on the cues. You know, the hand kind of recedes quickly as we bow, if you know, if no hands coming forward. But that sort of action, which is very small in the larger you know in the larger scheme of things, effective global leaders have to be able to do that, and they have to be able to do it across a range of cultures mm -hmm. and a range of contexts where the behavioral requirements and uh, and the appropriate responses change, and that's what makes it so extraordinarily challenging. So as you say that, I, I met my Indian partner recently, and it was the first time we had met in person after deciding to form a company together. And it was an awkward, like, handshake hug yeah. thing, and neither one of us knew what to do, but it was the acknowledgement that neither one of us knew what to do that made it feel okay. Had it been like, of course it's this, then that would have seemed actually almost power struggle-ish kind of, am I trying to take charge versus collaborate? It seems like there are a lot of really subtle cues that can be interpreted again differently than I intend. And this being male-female dynamics as well, how does gender play into our different cultures? And male-female dynamics across cultures and, uh -huh. and all of the challenging signals that that can, uh -huh. that can generate. So if I am a person who is interested in being a global leader, how would I learn some of these things? As you've said, it's incredibly complex, not only on the cognitive level, 
but the physiological level and the emotional. I think we're seeing, actually, my center has just done a benchmarking study on um, university uh, global leadership development programs. So we're seeing many more courses and, and programs at the university level. Of course, a lot of uh, consulting companies mm-hmm. have started to work on this, and, and some companies have some very good in-house programs. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's, it's also a matter of just continually educating yourself. Because mm-hmm. the, other, the other competency I would add to it is learning. You have to learn fast and you have to adapt fast. And you have to keep learning. That's right. This isn't a thing it's I learned never once. It's not grand. There's just it's it's the whole world. Hence curiosity. Exactly. Well, especially as we watch what's happening right now on the global stage, countries in and out of or, treaties, Brexit in and out, political shifts, major. It seems like how we interact, because politics does set the stage in some ways, that we're continually needing to adjust. I also think we need a different kind of leadership. Okay, so let's talk about that. Well, and you're talking in, uh, business and organizational, not political. No, not political. I know better. <laughs> well, the, my last conversation was entirely about political leadership. So I just want to clarify. I would want not to, about, no, I'm not talking about political leadership. Einstein said, we can't solve today's problems with the thinking <laughs> no. we used to create. Well... I think it's also we can't solve today's problems with the same thinking and leadership. Mm-hmm. They're crazy to create them, right? Which yeah. is why another reason why global leadership is so important. So many of our problems are global inter- and interdependent mm-hmm. in a very strong way. So to go back to the question of how do we develop people, one of the reasons we did this study in expert global leaders mm-hmm. was because we wanted to be able to accelerate the development of other people. We thought okay. if we study them, mm-hmm. we'll know exactly what they're doing, and then hopefully we can create more of these. Okay. So I'll speak first, but I think we both generally take the same approach. We both use an assessment center approach uh, with our students. We give them a battery of assessment instruments that we mm-hmm. know are relevant, mm-hmm. and then many simulations. Mm-hmm. Where where they're given feedback and they mm-hmm. learn to give feedback to other people too, mm-hmm. and in particular, everything I, I have this global leadership lab that is designed mm-hmm. to develop. Okay, people. so everything I do in there is based on research. Right, right, right. And I think that's again for our listeners, it's important to know that that this is deeply research based and practical to apply. Right, and then we also do research on the lab. We've mm-hmm. been. We started it in 2008. We've put over 1,200 people through it. Wow. And we have a data base on, on those people. So it's it's also a matter of, of giving them a lot of feedback on their behavior. Mm-hmm. When they do something that could be offensive or mm-hmm. or just wouldn't be effective, where right. they get a do-over. So anyone will call, wait, but do it again. <laughs> Which doesn't happen with a no, client, no, no, it or doesn't. With a colleague, it doesn't. But then, on the beauty of being able to, mm-hmm. you know, to experiment in a lab with your own behavior, and get lots of feedback from different people and coaching. So we see an enormous improvement from the beginning of a course to the end of the course. Okay. We also have a certificate in advanced global leadership, which is for people who are 
already graduated from college, so it's for it's for anyone really. But it's still based on that same idea: um, tremendous self development. They t- because they take these instruments, they also mm-hmm. do personal development plans, mm-hmm. and e- they email us every week how they're doing on these plans. So there are actually multiple types of global leaders. So let's talk about what those types are. And I happen to have the benefit of looking at the the framework on paper. Where did it come from and how do you use it? And then what is it? It grew out of our uh, our, our frustration as we as we looked at people doing research in the mm-hmm. in this area, the uh, the samples that they were studying, the people they classified as global leaders, we found we found difficult to compare. Okay. Uh, they would define them differently. Mm-hmm. One study, for example, might define global leaders as expatriate managers, managers working abroad. Mm-hmm. Well, some of some of those managers might be global leaders, but. Other managers might simply be doing what they were doing domestically in a different location. And and so there was this, how do we compare all of this research that's being mm-hmm. done? How do we learn from it as opposed to just one more study that tells us something about, uh, about a group of people and a phenomena that may or may not have something similar to something mm-hmm. it'd be out to another group? As we wrestled with that definition, increasingly we found ourselves going back and focusing on the context and saying, it seems to be that what is different are the role requirements of these leaders, and that is a function of the context. And what's the context? We eventually broke it down in terms of two types of complexity, uh, relationship complexity, the interdependence and the nature of, and, and the variety of relationships you're dealing with. And then task complexity, how many tasks do you have to deal with and what are the nature of those tasks? And uh, having developed those two, those two axes of, of relationship and task complexity, might be somewhat facetious, we knew that we were onto something because we had a two-by-two. Two. And, and so <laughs> now we so could do everything for us. Uh, you know, that really a researcher unless you have a two-by-two. <laughs> I, and I wish it were that simple, but it took us a long time of mm-hmm. wrestling with what exactly are we talking about if we say relationship complexity? What are we talking about if we say task complexity? Does this adequately capture the environment? And then if this is the context, and we can talk about a context, say, that involves low relationship complexity or high, and high mm-hmm. task complexity, mm-hmm. What does that mean? What are the role requirements that a, mani- that, a, that a manager might confront and that would lead to them you know, being a leader, becoming a global leader mm-hmm. in that context? And so it took us, um, took us what, about three, three or four years once we, uh, once we started down that path to really settle on it. And in retrospect, it looks obvious, but it wasn't obvious at the time. <laughs> this is something people don't know about research, right? So... Let me take a shot at how I would use this. If I'm looking at filling a role, I need to understand, is it incremental, is it connected? And, and we'll, then we'll go into exactly what these are. So I know what I'm looking for, that there's not one bucket of global leaders and I pull the piece out and stick it in someplace and it, it's all gonna work, that there, there were great nuances. So selecting people for roles, if I'm in a role, I'm mapping how effective am I and where do I need to grow? 
Are those some of the? Well, ones? let me let me give you an example of how um, how this was used with uh, a Japanese pharmaceuticals company. That's a, that's a global company. Uh, I was brought in to do some do some work with their with a group of their uh, high potential managers, and we actually pulled out some masking tape, mm-hmm. laid out a two by two on the floor, and then mm-hmm. we started having conversations about how complex the task complexity of their jobs okay. and the relationship complexity. And I spent time just giving them some things to ask themselves about, you know, how many, how many people are you dealing with? How many, how many boundaries are you needing to work across? Geographic. And well, both geographic and, and organizational, it's a okay. pharmaceutical company. So mm-hmm. one of those boundaries is all of the different government entities in all of the different countries where they operate mm-hmm. that have regulations that influence. And as we did that, I took a group of about 50 managers in this company, and they eventually gravitated to different spots. I'm in this quadrant, I'm kind of at the high end of this quadrant or the low end of this quadrant. And there we had it. We had a, we had a rough mapping, and then we could have conversations about, well, let's talk about the nature of the work you're doing and what's mm-hmm. required, and, and how do you lead in this position? If you're in a quadrant that we would call connective, you're managing a lot of relationships. Okay, so how are you managing those relationships? How do you, how do you lead the people you're responsible for mm-hmm. in you know in addressing those challenges? Uh, and and you indicated uh, the the types of uh, capabilities of managers need and the types of capabilities they develop as they lead in those in those different quadrants is quite is quite distinctive. Mm-hmm. And don't always transfer from one quadrant to another. If I'm a global leader in one quadrant, I can't necessarily take any global job. I need to either take the global job in the quadrant where I'm effective or build new skills. And, and be aware of what that new job involves. I do this exercise, too, with all the executive groups and student groups that I work with mm-hmm. in the beginning of global leadership workshops. And it just sets the stage because they, they know where they are. And then they start talking to others. Okay, now what's required here? What would I need to be done? So it's also good for, I'd say, several things. It will, Certainly it's good for selecting people. But it's also good for self-selection because some people know they don't have, mm-hmm. that, that they wouldn't be happy there, right? Okay. And then it's certainly important from an HR standpoint we can have a much better handle on what kind of training those people need to move from one quadrant to another so that they won't fail. So let's quickly go through what are the four quadrants so our listeners can imagine. So we've got low and high task complexity and low and high relationship complexity. So can you walk through one and you? So at the bottom left-hand corner, of the two by two, we have low relationship complexity and low task complexity. Then we called that category incremental. And we struggled with these names because a lot of words, they just weren't precise right, enough. Right. They didn't have the right meaning. But we, we named that incremental because in many ways we think of it as a continuum. Mm-hmm. So this is the next step from domestic leadership. Ah, oh, okay. And, right. of course, domestic leaders could have some aspects of global leadership, but it's not. Mm-hmm. These are completely separated necessarily. And then, uh, they, so they have low levels of variety and flux in their in terms of their task. And when it comes to their relationships, 
They have low numbers and variations of boundaries and low levels of interdependence on other people. So they don't have to wait for things from other people. So right. relationship being, if, I don't, if I'm not interdependent, my relationship requirements are low. And if I don't have many boundaries to cross, mm -hmm. people to deal with, either inside my organization or outside my organization. And I always think of these things as I have a radar screen in front of mm -hmm. me. that are things that I'm tracking on my job. Mm. How many task things okay. am I tracking? Okay. How many relationship things am I needing to, to mm -hmm. take care of, right? Perfect. So let's go to the next. I just want to be sensitive till we don't run out of time. All right. So I'm going to the right. So I'm in the right-hand bottom quadrant, and we call this operational because this is high task complexity, but still low relationship complexity. So in terms of task, in this kind of a role, you have high levels of variety in terms of the different types of pieces to your, to your job, and they change a lot. There's flux. So this is the next step, past incremental, going along a continual. To the right. Okay. So more complexity in terms of task. But still low relationship. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah, dealing with fewer actors, fewer stakeholders, you have to. Uh, mm -hmm. Fewer types of as predominantly domestic, maybe. Right. And then maybe. Now I'm going up to the, to the uh, left hand, the top hand quadrant. It's called connective leadership because now we're into high relationship complexity mm -hmm. where we have high numbers of people that we're dealing with and entities. We have lots of boundaries, different kinds mm -hmm. of boundaries. And we have a high level of interdependence in that they're waiting for me to do work and I'm waiting for them oh, to do work. Okay. Right? That's a lot harder than when I control everything in front mm -hmm. of me. But they have low task complexity. So we call them connective because we're trying to emphasize it's the people. Okay. So, so we're on the relationship. Relationship. High relationship complexity. And then in the upper right-hand corner, this is high-high in both areas. We call this integrative global leadership. They have high levels of variety and flux in terms of their task, and they have a high number and variation of boundaries and high levels of interdependence in terms of their relationships. So th this is really the most challenging, uh -huh. in a sense, because they're dealing with the most extreme forms of complexity. And that's why we call that integrative. They're integrative. But mm -hmm. And so I'm assuming that's the hardest one to develop. Yeah. Yeah, you would never want to take somebody who was a domestic leader, and put them straight into an integrative global leadership job. Okay. That that would be... Probability of success as well. Exactly. But you also confront a challenge if you have somebody in that connective who's developed a lot of skills in terms of managing mm -hmm. the relationships, strong interpersonal skills, strong uh, what I would call behavioral acuity, able to pick up on, you know, on all of the nuances and relationships. So they're good at that. And you say, okay, let's move you into the integrative quadrant. And now the question is, okay, they were good at all of those relationships. Are they good at handling all of the tasks and the complexities mm -hmm. associated with that task of so mm -hmm. a wider variety and a great uh, and far more change in, in, in the sorts of tasks they have to address? Mary, let me, let me give you one example of task complexity because mm -hmm. we have a lot of case studies of people that we've studied. And one woman had to divide an enormous company into two. It had never been done before. There was no, no way to turn, no one to turn to because no one had done it on that scale. So at one point, 
she realized that they were tracking 30,000 different things and they had to create their own software Mm -hmm. just to follow all of those things. Mm -hmm. That's the level of complexity that we're talking about. So large, complex, multinational uh, versus there are companies that operate in other countries, but they're not that scale. So again, the complexity... My little company certainly doesn't compare to GE or Whirlpool or something. The problems are online, so they seem big. But <laughs> I just hear, but make you feel better. No one would hire me to be the GE, uh, the CEO of GE, and that would be just dumb. But if you think about this on a continuum, mm-hmm. from where you were to where you're going the task has become more complex, so you've moved further to the right. Mm-hmm. If you're dealing with more more individuals, more mm-hmm. more entities, yeah. then it's also moving from you know from lower to higher. And so you may be moving in the direction of, of a greater integrative challenge. And that's that's the other thing that I think is useful with this this typology and this framework is it allows us to recognize how global leaders have to change. That's a brilliant thing to come to closure on is having a framework that helps me understand what are the key dimensions and how do I, as an individual leader, how do the people I'm helping develop, how do we assess them using your robust assessment tools and then helping them build their plans, whether they're college students, grad students, or senior executives. So how would people learn more about your work? The assessment we use Los Carmelet in, in which Alan was instrumental in creating is the Global Competency Inventory. So Global Competency Inventory, where would someone find that? They would find that at cozigroup.com. Can you sell? We have a small company, yes. K-O-Z-A-I group. And then the name of your book. This book is the Global Leadership Research, Practice, and Development. And the first author on it is Mark Mendenhall. For our listeners who didn't get the benefit of looking at this matrix, it is published in this book along with just a wealth of other information. I really do encourage you, if you are stepping into a global leadership role or in a global leadership role and wanting to upscale your skills, this is really a very valuable resource. Joyce and Alan, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.